0: Oh, Jeff, thank you for reading John. John 11. <clears throat> Such a rich and multi layered text. Such a beautiful, beautiful chapter. There's so much going on here. Been sitting with this for a couple of weeks. And uh, all of the texts, really, and just. Uh, Maybe this is only for my sake, but um, I'm going to take a different approach than I typically do whenever I preach, and just more of a meditative approach. Uh, Maybe I'm the only one who will notice, but uh, we'll see. We'll see about that. But uh, it's just, it it came in a different way to me this time. So with that, I I simply wish to point out that we are directed this morning to sit with this text as well as with Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 the Valley of the Dry Bones, along with Psalm 130, Out of the depths I cry, O Lord, and Romans 6. And all of them on this particular Sunday, which is known as Passion Sunday, the fifth and and final Sunday of Lent before we make it into Holy Week. Holy Week begins next week. And I got to confess that it strikes me at least initially as out of step with the season to be looking at scriptures, all of which speak to raising to life that which has been dead, whether it's the lost hopes of a nation or the sinfulness or brokenness of a person and a people or the slavery and bondage of sin or the literal death of a man named Lazarus. It seems a little ahead of schedule. We're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks, a lot. To be offering so much life now, on the fifth Sunday of Lent. So What do I do with this? Well, of course, we're good Protestants, so we're all about, of course, uh, the resurrection, and uh, that fits. Uh, but for one thing, let me be clear. If you didn't hear it, let me remind you. John 11 is filled with death. An appropriate Lenten theme. But I don't just say that glibly. I wish to invite us to not quickly pass by a text that is just walking us slowly but surely, and passages that are walking us through the reality of of death. There's discussion about death. There are euphemisms around the subject of death. We'll use other words even to maybe talk around it a little bit. He's falling asleep. Or there are if onlys about how death might have been prevented three different times from Mary, from Martha, from the onlookers. There's weeping and there's grief over death the death of Lazarus throughout, and at the climax of the story, Jesus himself weeps. I think this is very instructive for us, and so we ought not move. I certainly have been encouraged not to move too quickly from this. The time that this gospel takes to walk us through all this And and something that has helped me so much within my Christian faith is understanding and seeing that not only this text, but especially this text and others throughout Scripture, not only give us permission to weep, to grieve, to lament, to question, to doubt, to even make accusations in our pain and in our frustration. The Scriptures don't only give us permission to do that, they give us the language to do Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus all the way along. It's the most personal moment that we see in the Gospel of John up to this point, how much he loved Lazarus, Martha, Mary, how much he loved over and over and over again, how much Jesus loved. Watch him as he walks tenderly and patiently through all of these things that are thrown at him. And he doesn't shut them down. He doesn't rebuke them for their lack of faith. In fact, he ultimately joins in the weeping self. It's instructive for me. I think for many of us, it could be really helpful and instructive to us to pay attention to what God in the flesh is doing, even right here. Yet underneath all of this, of course, is hope. Hope, the promise that this illness will not lead to death and the hope of Lazarus rising again by the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. And I just simply want to point out that this is also consistent with the season of Lent. We began, we started this way at the beginning at Ash Wednesday, a day that's all about death, right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. Oof, all right. We, but even then, we set the stage to remind us that Lent does indeed talk about death, but always in the context that Jesus gives us in the very next chapter of this gospel, John twelve twenty four, Unless a seed falls into the earth and dies, it doesn't bear fruit. Death with Easter, with resurrection in mind, is the full focus of this season of Lent. Not just death for the sake of death. And this leads me to another thought about this moment in John's gospel. It's this event, according to John, which sets in motion the crucifixion of Jesus. At the very end of this text, the text that was given to us, the 45, verse 45 through the end of John 11, we find out it's this moment, ironically and heartbreakingly enough, It is this moment where Jesus does this miracle, raising Lazarus from the dead, that seals the fact that he is going to be killed by the religious authorities. They are out, not only to kill Jesus, but even to kill Lazarus, eliminating the evidence. It's awful to consider the depths of humanity's brokenness in the face of such light. Here's the thing, though, Jesus seems to know this from the very first. When he responds to the news of Lazarus' illness in verse 4, not only is it implied that Jesus knows Lazarus will ultimately live, but also Jesus says that he, Jesus, will be glorified through it, which has multiple meanings, (laughs) As most concepts in John have multiple meanings. We've been doing the first John with Fred, and man, John just layers it on thick. But glory, glory. In the very next chapter, Jesus makes a direct connection with his glory and his crucifixion, and then he does it again in chapter 13 and again in chapter 17. And so again, in this way, this particular text is consistent with this day, Passion Sunday. This is the moment that eventually leads to Jesus' passion. We're being set up for where we are in this story. And I'll just simply add that this adds extra significance to the fact that Jesus delays in his response for two days. When he hears that Lazarus is ill, he delays. What a mystery that is. Even on the other side of this, we look at this and we think, what is going on here as Jesus delays and doesn't quickly respond, but intentionally delays? What a mystery it is. What's going on in the mind of God here? It's like what the psalmist in Psalm 30 is crying out and ultimately determining, I will wait on the Lord. My soul will wait on the Lord. And as Jesus delays and then ultimately goes to Lazarus, he does so with multiple purposes. The purpose of bringing Lazarus back to life, for sure. And I think even the most important, the clear most important purpose of strengthening the faith of those who witness, so that you might believe. But also, he is going knowingly. According to John... He's going to perform a miracle that will trigger the religious authorities. Once for all, this man must go. Here we see the beautiful character of God in the flesh on display. Knowingly offering life that will lead to his death. I want to suggest to you that the climax, at least in this this chapter, this particular story, is the discussion that that Jesus has with Martha. Jesus assures Martha, Lazarus will rise again, and Martha responds in the affirmative that, yes, in the great resurrection on the last day, he will rise again. This she has a belief in, though not overly comforted in the moment, really. She does believe it. And then suddenly Jesus reaches into the future, doesn't he? Into the last day. And he declares it, it pulls it back into the present. And this is what he does it's mind blowing. He's standing before her in person, the one who is the resurrection and the life. We've known this for 2,000 years. I still can't get my head around it. And Martha is doing the best that she can to get her head around it. But not completely understanding, but trusting. She responds and believes and declares Jesus as the Messiah. And this is a side note, but it's an important note. In John's gospel, this has now been done by two women. How about that? One via a question from the Samaritan woman, which really implies in chapter 4, this is the Messiah, but here in a bold declaration by Martha. The synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, have Peter making this messianic confession, John, as Martha making this confession. Way to go, Martha. I don't know about you, but Martha has always kind of played second fiddle to me because Mary gets it right, you know, and Martha. Way to go, Martha. Way to go. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live, and everyone lives and believes in me will never die. Let me be clear. In this moment, Lazarus is raised from the dead, but it's not really the full resurrection that Jesus is speaking of, and that we'll talk about more in just a couple of weeks. Lazarus is raised to life, to live, for who knows how much longer, but ultimately to die again at some point. Quite different for Jesus. So what do we do with this on Passion Sunday? For you and for me, I simply want to invite us in this way. All of our texts this morning speak foremost to the truth. There are no depths beyond God's no depths beyond God's reach. Not the depths of utter defeat of a nation in exile, where the entire nation feels as good as dead, like a valley of dry bones. Not the pit of despair of a psalmist, crying from the depths of his own sin and pain and deep depression. Not the depths of bondage and slavery that lives of sin lead to, not even the depths of the actual death of a human being. There are no depths beyond God's reach. That's what we know from today, and yet we know even more, don't we, that Jesus himself will ultimately go to these depths to truly help us understand. There are no depths beyond God's reach. It's this Sunday that gives us the framework with which to know how to, how to best approach the next couple of Sundays. How to, how to best really get after and, and go after and think and worship through Holy Week, through Palm Sunday, all the way through Easter. This gives us the framework. But even more than that, even more than just how to simply live Christianly for the next couple of weeks and think, although that's an important thing to do. Even more than that for us, this reality, there are no depths beyond God's reach, gives us the ballast, gives us the courage, gives us the hope in this mystery to better face death ourselves. I think that's extremely important, especially in a culture where we are regularly doing the best we possibly can to deny it. Death is not denied here. Death is not explained away here. There's not a pretty spin that's put on death. Death is still the enemy. Death is not eliminated here. We live in a world and in a time. There will be a day, but not yet. For that is our reality too. However, death does not have the final word. God has the final word. And even death itself is not beyond God's reach. Brothers and sisters, I know firsthand what some of you are going through. And I know enough to know that by any statistic out there, there could be a a whole lot of us walking through any amount of pain, grief, depth of discouragement, depression, depression. In light of this reality, I want to simply ask you two questions. Invite you into two questions. In light of this reality, is it possible that we can sit with our dry bones? Grieve our dry bones. Lament our dry bones. Or those of others, maybe just a little more honestly. A little more courageously, Because of the hope of this reality, is it possible that we can, in agony and in pain, and faith, cry out to the Lord out of the depths and wait for the Lord with all our soul, like a watchman waits for the morning, like a watchman waits for the morning? Be heartened, brothers and sisters. There are no depths beyond. God's reach. Almighty God, grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise. That among the swift and varied changes of this world and our life circumstances constantly, our hearts may be surely there fixed where true joys are to be found. Amen.